feel the same way today. Mark chapter 2, you're going to remember that last week we were in Mark chapter 1 on Sunday morning and I preached about the Capernaum test and uh, I, I just felt impressed in the Holy Ghost to just advance a little bit further into the story today and to, to trek on into Mark chapter 2. At the end of Mark chapter 1, Jesus healed a leper and that leper went on proclaiming that Jesus had healed him and Jesus' popularity started to soar because this leper had a verified, miraculous touch of God in his life. He couldn't, Jesus, it got to the point where his popularity became such that he couldn't hardly enter into towns anymore uh, because the town would just start going wild uh, that he was there and just couldn't handle it. So his place of ministry became the wilderness and the desolate places, and the crowds would find him there and they'd gather to hear what Jesus had to say, and uh, that's where he started doing the majority of his ministry. Mark chapter 2, however, uh, tells of a time when Jesus eventually did come out of the wilderness, out of that desolate place, and he needed to go to town. Sometimes you just got to go to town, amen? And uh, those of us that live outside of town, we know sometimes you just got to come to town and get some things and uh, enjoy being in town for a little bit. And Jesus eventually has to come back out of the wilderness, out of those desolate places, and has to come to town. Mark chapter 2, verse 1 in the New King James Version says this way, And again he entered Capernaum. This is the same town that he had entered in in chapter 1, that they had crowded him to a degree that it was just, it was a wild scene. There were people pressing in on him from every direction. He comes back to that town, Capernaum, after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together. They knew the drill. Jesus comes to town. Everyone descends on whatever place he's at. Immediately, they gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And Jesus preached the word to them. Verse 3, And they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near Jesus because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. And so when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? Their faith, the faith of the friends and maybe the, maybe the faith of the paralytic, but definitely the faith of his four friends. And he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. Sometimes Jesus will do something that we're not even asking, that we're not even really there. We're not, we may not even be aware that we have a need, or we may be confused about what our greatest need is. But Jesus knows, amen? He says, son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Now, just picture with me. I'll get back to this in a little while. But the scene is this. People are packed in, shoulder to shoulder. It's standing room only. But there's a group of people in there that are nevertheless sitting. We're talking about the scribes and the Pharisees. I just imagine them perched up somewhere in a seat of honor with their arms crossed, just observing what's going on. So after all this commotion takes place, we finally get a glimpse of them in the scene. Some of the scribes were sitting there, and they were reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit and reasoned thus within the, that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, so they didn't say anything. Jesus just understood what they were thinking. Isn't that a sobering thought this morning? He says, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk, but that you know, may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, now I'm going to do what you actually came for. I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately the paralytic stood up, he arose, he took up his bed, and he went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God. And this is what they said in Capernaum that day. We never saw anything like this. We never saw anything like this. I want to minister from the word of the Lord from that passage of scripture this morning. If you would, let's lay our Bibles down. Let's lift up our hands toward heaven and let's focus on the Lord for just a moment and ask the Lord to bless the remainder of our time that we have together this morning. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray over my mind right now. I pray over my mind that you would help me to focus, to understand, Lord, that you would help us, God, to receive from your word today. This is another act of worship, Lord, when we go to your word and we declare your word and we preach your word and we respond to your word. Lord, I pray that you would bring us to a place of response today. Lord, drive us to a place where we just can't help but respond to the power of your word and the ministry of your spirit today. Lord, I yield myself to you, Jesus. Lord, I come against anything that might try to hinder your word today, that might try to hinder the operation of the gifts of the Spirit today. Lord, I pray that you would just move and operate in this place in the, in the way that you desire to, Jesus. Lord, we yield ourselves to you and to that move of your Spirit. Lord, we give you the praise in the mighty name of Jesus. Why don't we clap our hands together right now under the Lord. Lord, I love you. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus. You may be seated. I've read instances where people who hike in very high mountain ranges, that sometimes when they'll be caught in a brewing storm and the clouds will circle overhead and there's a storm on the horizon brewing above them, they've seen some of the hair of people that are hiking with them stand straight out from their heads. It's just a phenomenon that happens when you get to such a high altitude sometimes and there's a storm brewing close by. They've even started to see, and there's accounts of people that, that have seen the metal frames of their backpacks that they use to pack all their stuff with. They'll start to see the metal frames start to glow, almost a neon blue, and, and it's like an eerie type of glow, and it's just a phenomenon. They call it St. Elmo's Fire. And it just glows, and it's, it's, it's indicative of the atmosphere. The atmosphere is charged when that happens. There's an electric atmosphere around them. And when they see that, star, whether it's the hair starting to stand up from the static electricity, or whether it's the metal on their backpacks that starts to glow that eerie neon blue color, regardless of what sign they see first, Brother Billy, they know that when that starts happening, it's time to take the metal backpack off and to take cover because lightning's about to strike because there's a charge in the atmosphere 
and they know that, and they, mean, they know exactly what it means when it happens. And I have to imagine when I start to think about what it must have been like in Capernaum that day when Jesus returned to town. I don't know what house he was in. I imagine it's probably a, a good speculation to say he was in the same house he was in in the previous chapter, the last time he visited Capernaum. He was probably in Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house. And he's in that house, and the people start to pack in. And there's one here, and there's one there. And it doesn't take very long, and the whole house is full. And it says that it became so full that no one else could enter in, even at the doorway, even the doorways and the windows and every possible spot. It was standing room only. There were people, Sister Savannah, that were approaching with needs. There were people that were afflicted in their minds. They were afflicted in their bodies. They had situations and circumstances in life that they didn't have answers for. And there were impossible situations all around the property that day. It must have been a sort of phenomenon. There must have been a charge in the atmosphere that day in Capernaum when Jesus returned, and there was just an expectation. They already knew what Jesus was capable of. I think I'm in a room of people this morning that I probably don't have to explain a great deal about what Jesus is capable of. Maybe you only have heard about him, but you've heard that he's a miracle worker. You've heard that he's the one that can answer an impossible prayer. He can put together the things that are shattered into a million pieces. He can heal you in your body. He can speak peace into your mind. You've heard about Jesus, and that's why there's an atmosphere like that here right now. There's a charge in the atmosphere today because there's faith and there's expectation about what Jesus might do. It was an atmosphere like that that day in Capernaum. And then something happened that was unprecedented, that had never really happened before. There was something that happened that day that released an unprecedented instance of power, something that Jesus had never yet spoken and done. I want that power today to be unleashed. Wouldn't you just like Jesus to do something in your life that you've never experienced him doing before? The power of Jesus is here today to meet every need. It doesn't matter what your circumstance is. The answer is Jesus. What you need is an encounter with Jesus Christ, and everything can change and be different. There's needs of healing here today. There's needs of deliverance. There's some that need to take the next step and be born again of the water and of the Spirit. And you need God to do a saving work in your life. All of that and more is available this morning in an atmosphere like this. Just imagine in my mind's eye that immense crowd packed into that building, clamoring for Jesus, and there's not room for a single other person to enter. And then suddenly, amidst all the commotion, everything that's going on, there's debris that starts falling from the roof. Just imagine us sitting here today, Brother Marler, and just all of a sudden things from the roof just start floating down and landing on us, and there's a 
a rustling up above the ceiling tiles, and then all of a sudden, daylight breaks through the ceiling tiles, and something starts to happen. I ministered last Sunday morning, and I identified a feeling that I felt like kept coming back at me when I was ministering about how Lord, the Lord is wanting to use us as the ministers and the vehicles to share the gospel and to testify of the goodness of God and to teach Bible studies and to make disciples. And that feeling that kept coming back to me, it was one of apprehension. You may remember me saying that word last week. It was apprehension because there's a part of us that truly believes that I, what I read in Scripture, that that is what my mission is, that we are supposed to go and baptize and make disciples and teach, and, 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 and that's for the whole church. That's not just for a thin strata of, of leaders of the church, but that's for the entire body to engage in. And I think there's a recognition of that, of, of the truth of that. But nevertheless, whenever we start talking about that, there's almost an apprehension that starts coming over us because there's, there's a hesitation in our spirit about it because... I think maybe we're doing the mental calculus of, uh, and we're counting up the cost. If, if I start doing that, it's going to mean this for me. If I start doing that, I, I'm probably going to be somewhat inconvenienced. If I start doing that, it's probably going to push me out of my comfort zone to a degree. I'm probably going to have to sacrifice something. There's something, there's maybe an activity or a show that I'm just not going to be able to spend as much time engaging with. And I think there's a part of us that starts doing the calculations in our mind and it develops into an almost sense of apprehension and hesitation. And it's what it is, and we need to recognize it for what it is, is it's a form of fear and intimidation. It might be a much more benign version of it, but it is, it has the same DNA pattern as fear and intimidation. I'm talking about apprehension. I'm just trying to identify for us. Sometimes it helps when we put a label to something that we're feeling, to something that even we collectively feel together. This man in Mark chapter 2, this paralytic, we don't know his name, but he had friends of great faith, great faith. We, we even identified in Scripture that when Jesus responds to them, he even goes as far to say that the miracle that he's about to experience is a result of their faith. It wasn't necessarily the faith of the paralytic, but there was power in the faith of his friends acting on his behalf. You can make a difference in somebody's life. You may think that your faith and your walk with God doesn't amount to a whole lot, but I want to go on the record this morning and let somebody know in the Holy Ghost that your faith and your walk with God can absolutely make an impact. You're wondering how to live out that one at a time. It's your faith in activate. It's your faith getting activated that can start making the difference for somebody in your world. I wouldn't be able to stand and say it as plainly and boldly as I am right now, except that I see it in the word of God. Jesus says, when he saw their faith, it drove him to action. There was no way that these guys could have gone to this outrageous extreme of action if they didn't believe way down deep that once they got their friend into the presence of Jesus, that Jesus could 
and that Jesus would work a miracle for him. These were people of faith. That's the kind of faith that invites the miraculous. That's the kind of faith that invites and ushers in that atmosphere that I'm talking about this morning where the supernatural is possible. It wasn't just that their faith was big, but their faith was persistent. It was persistent. They could have walked up, Sister Kaylin, and seen that everything, that every square foot of that house was filled up. They could have come with a game plan. We're going to get our friend into the presence of Jesus. And they could have strolled up and seen, well, looks awfully full. Guess we missed it. Guess there's no way to see the miracle happen for us in our friend's life. Guess this just isn't my day. Guess it just wasn't my song, wasn't my message. I didn't get the goosebumps. It just, maybe this just isn't it. I was hoping it was, but I guess it's just not. Guess it's just not God's will. No, they had a persistent faith. They got there and they saw the obstacle that was ahead of them and they let their faith continue on and they got moving and they got going. It's the type of action I think that Jesus, Jesus, um, he complimented it later in one of the gospels in Matthew chapter 11. He said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. I think that's the kind of, I think what these fellows did is a kind of demonstration of that. They didn't come up against an obstacle that looked insurmountable where the facts weren't in their favor and just throw their hands up and say, you know what, must not be the will of God today. Must, I am not feeling it right now. The facts aren't in my favor. They didn't do it the way that I thought it was going to roll out. This isn't exactly what I pictured in my mind. And so I'm just going to pack it all in, go on back to the house. No, there was a demonstration of that kind of faith that Jesus said when the kingdom of God suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. They were going to use their faith and they were going to press in to that situation. They weren't going to take no for an answer. I wish that there would be some that would say, you know what, when it comes to my loved ones, when it comes to my neighborhood, when it comes to people that I have influence with, I'm not going to take no for an answer. I'm not going to be rude. I'm not going to be obnoxious. I'm not going to be unkind, but I'm simply not going to take no for an answer. I'm going to be persistent in my faith. My faith may not be fancy. My faith may not be eloquent. My faith may not match what other people's expectations are, but I am determined to see a move of God in my family. I'm determined to see a move of God in my workplace, in my friends group, and I simply am not going to take no for an answer. I think that there's a saint of God here today, somebody that would say, you know what? I'm ready to go for it. I'm ready to, I'm ready to say, I get it. I see what's at stake. And it doesn't matter what the facts say. And it doesn't matter what the situation may look like in my physical eyes, in my physical senses. I'm ready to go for it. My faith is going to carry me where everything else fails. I'm going to get to the place where there is a supernatural demonstration of the power of God in the life of somebody that I love, that I want to see in the presence of Jesus, and I'm not going to allow anything to get in the way. And those four guys started tearing through the roof 
of that house. And they took the kingdom by determined force. And that kind of faith unleashes God's power. When they got their friend on the stretcher, there was no stopping them. But what I want to ask today, as much as I believe that great faith is absolutely part of the DNA of the church today. You, have to, you need to have a faith that when you come up against an obstacle, you're able to climb over it and overcome it. You're going to have to have it because, mark my words, there's going to be obstacles. There's going to be resistance. You're going to have to have tenacity. About, you're going to have to, the, the word that the King James Version uses is, is violence. You're gonna, that doesn't mean getting you know, hateful, or it just means that you're going to have to use force. You're going to have to have something that's driving, and that's what faith is about. And as much as that is necessary, I want to ask a question in the Holy Ghost this morning. What is it that got him on that stretcher, that paralytic? What is it that motivates something like that? What is it that animates something like that? that gets people to such a faith moment? What is the force that causes four people to locate one person and lift him up off the ground and begin the process of elevating him to a rooftop on a stretcher? I would submit to you that it is a greater force than even faith. There is a spirit of intimidation and fear and apprehension that would like to paralyze the church that would like to stop us before we even get started and drive all of the faith out of God's people. And while faith does its part to drive out fear and intimidation and apprehension, there is an even greater weapon that we have against this paralyzing containment strategy of the adversary, and it's love. I'm telling you today that as much as I desire to be a person of great faith, I even more desire to be a person of great love. The two are not opposed to one another. They're not opposed to one another at all. It's not an either-or proposition. But the Apostle Paul wrote to the church, and he said, Now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Love suffers long and is kind. Love doesn't envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. They really loved him, didn't they? They would not be put off by the crowd or by the facts. They even vandalized. <laughs> I mean, imagine going to your friend's mother-in-law's house for the weekend. And all of a sudden, because of your presence there, they start tearing the roof off the joint. You talk about inconvenient. There's going to be a bill in the mail. Somebody's going to have to pay for that. Somebody's going to have to get up there and fix this thing when the next rainstorm comes. 
They vandalize someone's property, so to speak, to achieve their end. They ignored the protests of everybody that said, you know what, guys, stop. What in the world? What are you guys doing? Like, stop, 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 stop. They, 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 they ignored all the judgments of everyone that thought they were being a little excessive. Everyone that thought that you guys are just a little too radical. You're just, you guys are getting a little bit out of control. They ignored all that. That was in one ear and out the other. None of that mattered to them. May have been because the person that they had on that stretcher, maybe he was a family member. Maybe he was a brother or an uncle or a father. Maybe he was just a neighbor, somebody that they'd known their whole life, they'd grown up with, they'd known him their entire life. Whatever the relationship was, they loved him. And whatever happened that day, whether it was going to, whether they got into the presence of Jesus and there was a healing, Sister Doty, or whether they got there and there was rejection, they didn't know what was going to happen. No matter what the outcome was going to be, the paralytic that day was a very rich man. To have four people that love you enough to pick you up and to take a whatever-it-takes approach to get you into the presence of Jesus. I would submit to you today that that is a greater force than even faith. That's love. That's love. God was going to work in this man's life because his friends loved him. God is especially pleased to work when there is love like that. Whatever happened that day, this man was going to receive something because he had friends that loved him. He had people in his life that loved him. Love is what will move you to make the difference in one person. We've been talking about for several weeks about one at a time. Love, love is what will move you when nothing else will move you. Love is what will move you whenever you see one that needs to get into the presence of Jesus. Love is happy to go and make a difference one person at a time. Because you see in 1 Corinthians 13, where we read from a moment ago, it says love is patient. Love is long-suffering. If I have to spend my time on one, I'm content I don't use the word content the wrong way in a negative. I'm content to do it because love impresses me to do that because love is patient. The musicians would come. I, I, I just have one point to make today, and it's this. Faith got that paralytic through the roof. But love got him on the stretcher. We've got to find that single most powerful, animating, motivating force. There has to be a revival of love. We live in a world that just feels very, very hateful and very, very unforgiving and very, very short-fused and very, very impatient. And I know that, I know you feel that because I do. We need a revival of love. 
Not the mushy kind of, not the hallmark love. I'm talking about compassion. I'm talking about care. I'm talking about we love one another and we love the lost. And our greatest witness to the lost is that we love one another. But love doesn't stop inside this building. If you want to make a difference in one life, you need to cultivate love. I promise you, if you get them on the stretcher, there's going to be faith that starts to work. There's going to be faith that starts to work. You might get up to an impossible wall, a barrier that seems insurmountable. Believe me. Test, just test, test God. Try it out and see if there isn't faith that starts moving. But you got to get him on the stretcher first. Get him on the stretcher. Pick him up. When you get to the house and the facts don't look like they're in your favor, there's going to be faith. It might not even be your faith. It might be my faith. It might be Sister Gina's faith. It might be Brother Caleb's faith. It might be someone else's faith. But once, once you get to moving, there's going to be faith that starts activating because God is delighted to act whenever there's love and when there's faith that start working in tandem with one another. You may have noticed earlier, maybe even going back to last week, that I've been taking aim at a particular spirit that wants to paralyze the church. It's a spirit of fear. It's a spirit of intimidation. And even if we were to identify it in a more benign form, it's a spirit of just apprehension and hesitation when it comes to these kinds of things. The enemy, the adversary, would love nothing more than to paralyze your evangelism. To get your hand to wither away from the harvest. 1 John chapter 4, the old apostle John, he wrote these words that tells us exactly what we need to know about this topic. It ought to give us strength. It ought to embolden us. He says, perfect love casts out fear. But Dustin, why are you coming at, why, 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 not, why aren't we talking more about faith right now? Because faith is certainly the word that Jesus, it, it seems like it, it was just a complete faith event that day in Capernaum. There's roof tiles flowing, falling all over the place. There's ropes and there's people being lowered down and it just seems like a full-blown faith event. And no mistake about it, there was a lot of faith evident that day. But it originates in a place called love. And when you're dealing with the spirit that we are dealing with in our day of fear and intimidation and apprehension where the adversary is trying so hard to contain the church, to contain the ministry of the church, to contain the voice and the witness of the church, there's only one thing that we need to point to more than anything else and say we need a revival of it. And it's love. Love casts out fear. Love doesn't allow a roof to get in the way. There was a group present that day. I already alluded to them earlier. It was the scribes and the Pharisees and they were seated and they had their arms folded. I'm not a mind reader. Jesus apparently is. 
because he knew exactly what they were thinking and responded to it. But I've learned something that, and this is just food for thought, but I, I, I think there's some truth to it. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love seems to be indifference. There was a group of people there that day that were largely indifferent to what was going on. There was a revival of love and faith in action, a demonstration happening right before their eyes. And as all of that unfolded in their midst, the scripture testifies that they were pretty well just stationary, criticizing, not really impressed, definitely not engaged, and mostly just indifferent. I don't want to fall into that camp. I don't ever want to get to where I've got so much head knowledge or so much experience living for God that I reach a place of indifference when it comes to people, when it comes to the lost, when it comes to brokenness, when it comes to those that need healing, when it comes to those who need deliverance. Faith may be fleeting. Faith is sometimes dependent on external factors. But love is deep and abides. It's not tossed to and fro. Paul wrote to the church about spiritual gifts. Several different passages. There's one in 1 Corinthians, there's one spiritual gift that's, that's named, and he calls it the gift of faith. And we believe that the gifts of the Spirit are for us today. There's a gift of faith, and sometimes we have it operate here. Sometimes it operates in your life, and maybe you don't really identify it, but it's a gift of faith. And what it is, is it's an overflow type of faith. It's a kind of faith that's able to charge an atmosphere. It's, an, it's, it's a kind of faith that when I don't have faith, and you start act, behaving and exercising the gift of faith, there's some of that that's going to splash over to me, and it's a contagious kind of faith. And sometimes faith operates that way. Sometimes I need to borrow. Sometimes there's a splash over. Sometimes my faith is dependent somewhat on some external factors that may come and go and, and, and wax and wane over time. And it'll just depend on some circumstances at, at times. But there's no gift of love mentioned among any of the Apostle Paul's lists of spiritual gifts behave the same way as the gift of faith would that I just described to you. And it's because we should never have to be moved to love others, to love the lost. As long as we are filled with the Spirit of God, there should never have to be a separate gift in operation to cause us to love. It should be so deeply embedded into the church that when I, see, when I know where Jesus is and I see somebody who needs to get into his presence, I don't need a cheerleading section. I don't need anybody necessarily to encourage me, but the Holy Spirit of God, what 1 John says, that God is love, lives inside of me and it leads me to action. Yes. 
I've got to put that person on that stretcher. I've got to start taking the steps to get that person into the presence of Jesus. This morning, as we all stand, I don't have a spiritual gift to exercise right now in this moment. But I have a message. And the message that I've received from the Lord for this day and for you is that love makes the difference. Love makes the difference. And I hope this morning that as we start to respond to the Word of God and as the Holy Ghost ministers, I hope and I pray today that you have someone in your world that you love enough to pray for. I hope, I, I hope you've got someone in your world that you love enough to text and to call them and to set up a Bible study. I hope that you have someone that you love enough to show up and say, you know what? There's something I want, I, I've been, I, need to have, I need to talk to you about something. It's the most important thing in my life. And I've been meaning to have a conversation with you about it because I just want to share it with you. I hope that you have someone that has already flashed into your mind that you love that much. Because when we start to love like that, there's a faith that gets activated. There's roof tiles that start falling. There's ropes that start lowering somebody into the presence of Jesus. And the miraculous supernatural power of God to meet every need starts to be released into our community, into our neighborhood, into our workplace, into our family, into our house, into our school campus, into our friends group. Can we lift up our hands all over this place right now? The love of God is here and with us today. And it's not just a love of God that's trying to surround us and comfort us, but it's calling us. There's a love of God that's calling us today. And I would, if, if you would, these altars are open right now. Can we respond to the word of God and to the Holy Ghost right now?